thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 167 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and is recorded on Friday, La Cinco de Mayo, and made available for download Tuesday, May 9th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Henry. And I'm Ostron. And as I'm hosting the main show tonight, in the audio booth, making sure he interrupts to give us his oh-so-valuable opinions, is Tony. So, what do we have in store this week, Ostron? In this week's Squawk Box, Elon is at it again. Next, a slightly different type of flight deck as we discuss Elite Dangerous's Premonition's tie-in event, The Fate of Salome and Harry Potter. No, I'm not making that up. Finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypter, this is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Now, I can personally attest to life without broadband is hard. And if you think it's hard waiting two hours for Star Citizen to download to complete, try waiting two days. Fortunately, Elon Musk agrees with me. Just recently, a representative from his company SpaceX testified in a Senate hearing about their plan to distribute over 4,400 satellites into orbit. The purpose of these satellites will be to improve broadband internet access, both in the U.S., other countries, and in areas where broadband is either expensive or just flat out not available. Each satellite weighs 386 kilograms, which is 12,410 troy ounces, and will be launched in batches of 50 on Falcon 9 rockets. The Falcon 9's stated low Earth orbital payload capacity will theoretically allow for 59 at a time so they're within tolerance levels. They're hoping to start deployment in 2019 and have the entire network up by 2024. Once deployed, SpaceX hopes that the network will be able to provide up to one gigabit per second per user. Although that sounds great, the deployment itself is something that's worth considering. The Union of Concerned Scientists estimate that in orbit there are already over 1,400 active satellites 2,600 defunct satellites waiting to crash, over 500,000 pieces of random debris, and thanks to gravity, George Clooney. Adding 4,400 more satellites is going to make things even more crowded. It'll be up to the FCC whether the promise of global broadband outweighs the possible risk to further launches in orbital safety. I just see that scene from WALL-E where the spaceship is flying away from the Earth and the Earth is like a fuzzball. It's got like all, the, all it's got all the stuff just just dangling you know just uh, just hovering around it in orbit and just it seems a little extreme. It does and it doesn't. We absolutely I can attest the fact that in this technological age that not having broadband to even rural areas is uh, is sad. It's sad for us because we have the capability to do it. We just don't put any money into the infrastructure. And the companies that currently control the situation are just uh, rigid and not doing so for whatever reason. Now, that may be some government 
problems on, on some countries that may not be in others, but I know that most of Europe and elsewhere, they have gigabit broadband speeds. In fact, I bet even if Lennon were here, he would tell you how fast, uh, you know, um, they deploy things in Britain. I've been on several panels on, uh, on Wi-Fi exp- uh, expansion, on fiber deployments and other things in my career. And it's just disheartening when we know that we can do it and uh, it doesn't get done. I just, I just wonder though, it, you know, 4,400 satellites will more than well, almost quadruple the number of active satellites in orbit right now. And they're all going to be in a low Earth orbit, which is one of the more crowded places. Just physically, dimensionally, you know, it's a smaller sphere. You know, you get to geosynchronous orbit, it's a big sphere. But it takes a lot more energy to get up there. And it would take a lot more energy for signals to go up and down for that. So those, those like, those, you've seen those Iridium satellite phones with a giant antenna. It looks like a roll of toilet paper or something. Oh, yeah. A toilet paper roll. You know, so that, that's, I used to have one of those phones. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- those were getting way out there. Those were that's sending a signal, throwing a signal way up. So, but so these guys are going to be much lower, so lower power requirements. But that's going to make it awfully crowded. And then you throw, hey, let's throw in, you know, let's throw in, uh, competing multi-billionaires here. So Virgin Galactic is going to start sending tourists up in up in rockets to not quite low Earth orbit. And then there's these little satellites from Elon Musk going to be whizzing by. And Elon wants, of course, to send people to Mars. So that you know, then that's traffic that's going to go through. And then Jeff Bezos, he's got his Blue Origin engine ready to you know make deliveries of uh, toilet paper rolls probably to people via low Earth orbit. So I mean, it, it's uh, it's getting awfully crowded in my sky. If uh, once we once we count all this up, we had thought when we looked at this before in these groups and stuff that. We actually, I actually like the theory of the L5 satellite or the stations. You could cover, you can build, there are five high Lagrange points that you can pretty much cover the entire Earth from five of these stations based around in the high, high Lagrange points. There's a, there's several different, there's low Lagrange points and then there's high Lagrange points and there's mid Lagrange points. But uh, the idea being that uh, you just, you know, put up five space stations with big, you know, antennas and you pretty much can beam broadband to almost everybody in the world. Yeah, but we're talking about privatization now and and, uh, companies putting up their product. If you have five stations, whoever owns those will control everything. The cool thing about privatization is we're going to see... Lots of companies be able to put up new and different and innovative ideas without having to use someone else's hardware. And yeah. I think that would stifle that. I think this is what I think. I think that if Musk gets serious and he actually starts putting some of these in orbit, I bet all of a sudden it's going to be a whole lot easier to start stringing cable on telephone poles. Something will snap. Something like Jeff was saying, some sort of roadblock, whatever it is people are having problems with right now, will all of a sudden get a lot better. I'd like to say one more thing about this whole project, and and at the risk of sounding like somebody who is like a science denier, and I'm not, but I'm, I take everything that's said to me kind of critically. So when they say 4,400 satellites is a whole lot to put up there, and then in my head I think about how big that space around the Earth is, is 4,400 satellites really a lot? Or is that something that they're telling us because if we keep going and we get to a position where we have 500,000 satellites in orbit, then we'll be in trouble. But is 4,400 really a bad number? The problem isn't, it's not the number versus the volume of space. 
The problem is that they're all moving. None of the satellites in low Earth orbit are geosynchronous. Right. So they're all moving in relation to the Earth. So it's not that they're taking up points in space, they're taking up arcs in space. Yep. Which means that not only do you have to, you, you've got sort of the reverse of the Heisenberg problem, or no, actually it's the exact same Heisenberg problem. You have to know both where the satellite is and where it's yep. going. And as you put more and more satellites up there, the math gets harder and harder. Yep. And it's mostly an issue like eventually you've got so many arcs whizzing around each other that if you try to launch anything into orbit, it's going to be inevitable that it'll hit something. And those low Earth orbits are also susceptible to things like friction from the upper atmosphere. So it makes the math even harder because none of those orbits are going to be as predictable as a geosynchronous orbit where you're more worried about random gravitational tugs than, you know, uh, wisps of ionosphere. Plus, this is less this is less of a problem now because we're able to make the satellite so small, but the more stuff you put in low Earth orbit, the more stuff gets into lower Earth orbit and then impactful Earth orbit, which can be worrisome. You thought it was bad when the blue ice from the airplanes fell on you. Mm. <laughs> well, luckily at 386 kilograms, I'd expect them to just blow up or burn up on the way in. So fingers crossed. Good. I wonder, um, you know, with 500,000 pieces of random debris in in low Earth orbit right now, and they're talking about these satellites going up. It seems like it would be a good idea with as easy as it's getting to put up satellites. And I say easy, you know, relatively quote, easy quote. comparative to the way it used to be. But it seems like they should be including some kind of deorbital mechanics where it can like do a short burn with a some kind of yeah. contained gas just to bring it into the atmosphere and burn it up. So that if we needed to recall some defunct ones, we could instead of adding to the more or adding more to that 500,000 pieces of random debris. It just seems like that's the kind of thing the FCC should be talking about um, as far as regulation. If it's them, maybe the F yeah. FAA, right? Not the FCC. I think it's both. Well, the FCC, yeah, the FCC is involved with this because they're communication satellite. I think you're right. The FAA is in charge of the actual, hey, you're sending something into the sky. Yeah. Red Scene or heard something that you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. So, that happened. As we mentioned last week, and as most elite players knew, April 29th featured arguably the first large-scale community event in Elite Dangerous where the outcome was wholly determined due to player action. Most Elite events organized by Frontier have featured player-driven discoveries, but the results of those discoveries have generally been predetermined. This time, the players' actions were going to determine whether discoveries related to the Formidine Rift mystery would be broadcast due to the efforts of Salome. A fictional character created by Drew Wager, who was given an in-game account to actually travel in-game from one part of the galaxy to the core worlds. Anticipating the legions of players who would want to kill Salome, due to legitimate role-playing or simple desire to be contrary, a player group known as Premonition Allied Corporation, or PAC, began organizing players who shared an interest in safeguarding her trek across the galaxy. Reports from Reddit indicate that a group known as the Children of Raxala actually took personal responsibility for escorting Salome herself, but the PAC and its over 3,000 players were most vocally and obviously calling for her defense. It's at this point that we're moving more into the realm of hearsay, rumor, and grains of salt. 
First of all, there are reports that the PAC began establishing demilitarized zones where they were threatening to unquestionably kill any non-member who arrived in certain systems with weapons on their ship. We know from our very own Tony that there is a nugget of truth to that policy, but Tony had said that the idea was the ships were going to be interdicted rather than destroyed. Further reports suggest that PAC began to fragment as the event progressed, with allegations of Russian players being ejected from Discord groups and PAC, quote, laying claim, unquote, to systems. Although whether this was just a misinterpretation or evolution of their demilitarized zone declaration is unclear. The actual event resulted in widespread combat and chaos. PAC and others' efforts to protect Salome's actual ship and clear the route of her travel caused combat to break out in many systems simultaneously, some of them dozens of light years from the object of aggression. Complaints on the elite subreddit suggested that PAC was to blame for a lot of this and that they adopted an enemy of my enemy is still an enemy approach and began attacking any ships that weren't explicitly members of the group. However, despite aggressive efforts by the defenders, Salome's ship was eventually destroyed. One hour and 45 minutes after the start of the event, the blame lay at some of the most infamous and controversial players. Yes, our old friends the Smiling Dog Crew, the proverbial butt fedoras of previous episodes, not to be confused with the asshats, managed to grab the spotlight and burn other players with it yet again. Apparently, members of the group infiltrated PAC itself through copious shedding of crocodile tears and assurances made that they really wanted to help. Given their history, no one could deny that they would be an asset in PvP, assuming they were legitimately reformed. That assumption turned out to be flawed. Commander Harry Potter, confirmed to have participated in player legacy interruptions and charity hijackings, managed to infiltrate the group and get added as one of Salome's friends. Remember, Salome was an actual elite account with all the usual mechanics in place. That means by being accepted as a friend, Commander Potter was given an update on her actual location at any given point in time, though Mr. Wager says that he was never actually a part of her wing. Armed with that information, and presumably a buttload of other ordnance, he succeeded in ending her run for the Core Worlds. The elite community predictably exploded once the name and affiliation of the killer was revealed. Conspiracy theories began forming before the debris cloud found in orbit. Hopeful players suggested that the destroyed ship had been a decoy, but Mr. Wagger dispelled that rumor shortly after it was surfaced. Some simply derided PAC for allowing members of SDC in, particularly when it was suggested other players with similar reputations had been rejected. Others dismissed the whole event as a stunt with a predetermined outcome designed to increase drama. On the other side, as we've discussed before on the show, not everyone believes such behavior is reprehensible. While they don't agree with the outcome, certain players are commending SDC on their patience and ingenuity required to accomplish the feat of infiltrating the PAC and carrying out the assassination. In the end, significant information did reach the target system. The three compatriots of Salome that also had copies were able to make it as most hostile players' efforts were focused on the character. Despite the hopes or dismay of some players, Mr. Wegger's plan was not ruined. He indicated in his summation after the fact that he had planned for Salome's death, given how likely it was. He considers the event an overall success, although he concedes that there were lessons to be learned and it was certainly not without some hiccups. Whether events like this happen again probably depends on how many players agree with him. Okay, go. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I think Tony Tony probably has a lot to say about it because he was directly involved. He did the training with um, SDC, right? Right, Tony? Yep. So yep. Um, why don't you tell us about what the plans were a little bit? What, yeah. what was it like? So the, they were, I think, the best they could come up with for a ridiculously stupid tactical situation. The whole idea was that in this game, it's easy to identify a ship or a commander because you just point your nose at a, at, a, at a bogey and about two seconds later it pops up with the name. So that's easy. But determining their intentions is practically impossible. And there's no mechanics to prevent friendly fire or to lock targets so you can't, you know, you can't lock a friendly. Everything is targetable and you can shoot anything you want. So the question for the defenders became, how the hell do we know whether these people want to shoot down the character, Salome? And the only thing that they'd come up with was, well, if we scan them and they don't have any guns, they can't shoot Salome. But what they can do is carry an interdictor. And the FSD interdictor, the frameshift drive interdictor, could then pull down anybody that was carrying weapons out of supercruise. And then that way it would clear the path for Salome, who should theoretically, if all is going well, never leave supercruise. Always be supercruise, hyperspace, supercruise, hyperspace to the next system and so on and so forth. So the more time that we that players with weapons in the path of travel spent in normal space, the less likely it was they'd be able to use their interdictors to pull Salome down to normal space and then blow up the ship. Tactically, there was no other way to approach it, in my, in my view. In my view, there simply wasn't any other way to do it. The, the people that were in the training, from the Salty Dog crew and uh, Levinny's Legion and AA, who I don't remember what they stand for. There are a bunch of PVPers. Some of them are you know, scallions and, you know, uh, scallywags. Oh, come on. And Let's all. call them for what they really are. Asshats. We got in trouble yeah. calling them asshats because the asshats, you know, sent us email. So, you know, butt fedoras. Okay, so all these butt fedoras out there uh, were in, in this seriously 3,000-person Discord channel. There were a lot of people, and they were extremely helpful. And they were very engaging and quite polite and always willing to lend a hand or to joust with you to test a build. They were very good ambassadors of the PvP community. But then they're not asshats or butt fedoras. I know. It's, just, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a preconception shattering moment here. There's several training events and in every training event, always two or three of the four characters got through. Every single time. And there were some things that were a little different. The The practice targets had really fast ships that were a little over-engineered. Um, that was not the case on the actual day because those those people had less capable ships. But to balance that off, the, the, the interceptors, the, the aggressors, knew the route, knew the waypoints. So they could camp out at those systems and, and, and wait for them. So that kind of balanced out as far as um, You're saying during training, fair. but in the actual event, yeah. they had no idea. In the actual event, they had no idea. And that we'll get to that in just a second, too, because that's part of the fun. So, But during the training, two or three ships always got through, and which to me was a validation of the strategy, is that for the plot to progress, for, for Wegar's big secret to be revealed to the galaxy, only one of the four actually had to make it. So the fact that we were letting, you know, getting two or three people, and twice I was a goalie. I was literally a goalie. We knew what the end thing was and I sat in the mail slot with my big cutter, lasers out 
ready to, to stop somebody coming through, but they were coming through in tiny little Imperial couriers. And as soon as I lit them up, the station lit into me and that was so much for my cutter. But I mean, you know, but I was able to block, I was able to physically block that exit or that entrance. And that was not something that would have been able to, to happen uh, on the actual event. They still got through. My point is high percentage chance that the, the plot was going to advance. We're going to lose somebody. We're going to lose one or two of the four, but the plot was going to advance. And that was the goal. That was PAC's entire goal is that they didn't want the story to grind to a halt. They didn't really care if Solomon made it or not. And that's a huge difference between PAC's strategy and tactics and a lot of individual players' strategy. Because a lot of individual players really dug the Salome character. And the children of Raxla, in fiction, she's their leader. So there are a lot of people who are pissed off at the outcome because they feel like PAC betrayed Salome the character when their entire goal was, let's just move the plot along. I think that's the source of a lot of the friction that's going on. The night before, last training session out there at the, on the fringe near where the, uh, the start was going to be, I asked a question in Discord. I said, hey, you know, we got it all set up and things are looking pretty nice. What's the plan for attrition? Because these escorts are going to be taken down. The children of Raxla, who were the ones that were going to be doing the personal escorting, had trained up in PvP and had gotten better builds and better tactics, but they were not experts like the salty dog guys and the other some of the other ones and they were going to die some of those people were going to die so i said well what's the plan for attrition what how are we replacing those people that are going to fall does the pac armed contingent which there was one are those people going to step into the shoes are they going to tell us where to go so we can clear what's going to happen dead silence on the chat channel there was no plan b that's completely yeah. ridiculous. And at that point, Henry, at that point, I knew Salome was going to die. <laughs> there was no question in my mind that Salome was going to die. Because I, uh, it was just too easy. You know, when, when you were telling us the plan in group chat, because I was way out on an exploration mission, I was out um, near the Elephant's Head Nebula, or Elephant's Trunk Nebula, I think. Um, so I was going to multi-crew for the event, uh, most likely... Uh, until you told me there were some multi-crew issues that we can talk yeah. about in a minute. instancing. Because um, I was going to, you know, just multi-crew with you to do just the event, and I was missing all the training. But then when you told me the tactics and the idea that the whole point was just to drag people out of super crews to keep them from getting to her at all, and that there wasn't a plan beyond that, I didn't see the point. I couldn't understand how you would go on an escort mission with no way to actually defend if you got into a firefight. It just didn't make sense. Um, particularly when you say what happens when the children of Araxla get taken down, you know, when they're damaged and destroyed and no longer there, what's your plan? And the plan was, well, the pirates are on our team anyway. So what's it matter when our escorts go down? The pirates are with us. No. It just, it made no sense. You know, and you didn't say that, but specifically yeah. Potter was with you. The, the SDC was there. I don't, I don't get it. The whole plan seems flawed. Well, there were some other groups that were specifically gunning for Salome. Her banner did not attract every single PvP group. There were some ones that were specifically gunning for her. And it was eventually shaping up to be, you know, the story that was sold, and it wasn't even really sold, the story that was used to allow STC to kind of come in was, this is a big PvP fest. There are people for, people against, and they are, they're going to clash against each other because there's bad blood. And this group uses exploit weapons, and salty dog guys think that's bad. I mean, there's that was the 
that was the the narrative that was kind of sold. Your question was about you know, and my and my question to them was, what's the plan? There was a lot of compartmentalization, right? And that's smart because they knew that it, the the PAC people knew that it, there was a better a greater than zero chance that one of these or multiple of these uh, PVP players were going to be a turncoat. When I got the answer that I got, the non-answer I got, I was that to me that chance went up to 100% because they were just going to wait for the escorts to thin out and then jump when they had the chance. I mean that that was that's very does very predictable. And and I didn't do any escorting. I went to the system I thought was the destination and I just sat there in my in my uh, anaconda and I watched Salome jump because I was friends with her too. Uh, and I I'd requested a, a dead friend request a couple weeks before the event and it was it was accepted and I just watched her jump jump jump. And then she stopped at this Arum Claw place for a long time. And I thought, oh, that's probably going to do it. But by that point, the other pilots, the other character pilots, had made it. So we were going to move the story. The story was going to be moved. So that, tactically, they'd already won. But it was just, just that said, one character. What you just said, the story was going to be moved, is an interesting point. I was watching from a different vantage point because I wasn't actively participating. Right. I wanted to watch as many streams as I could, so... I put on my screen four, um, four YouTube streams, and I was watching all of them. And right before she was taken down, somebody called all of the interceptors to, I think, the Saul system. And I couldn't figure out why they called all of the people with guns to the same system. She wasn't even there, was she? Like, why no, were all no. the guns called away? And I haven't heard anyone mention that. But I heard one of the leaders, some, somebody said, everybody be quiet, the leaders are going to talk. They came on and said, all the interceptors go to this system. It was nowhere where nowhere near where she was actually at. It's like they drew off everyone with guns two minutes before it went down, and then all of a sudden Potter is in the instance with her, which makes sense if he's on her friends list, but, I mean, he was right there two minutes after everybody's called off, you know? And apparently her, yeah. her escorts sped off ahead of her right before that happened, too, so they were apparently in on it. So it's like... Well, I, I think the children of Raxla, her, the people in her wing were part of that role-playing group, that she, that the Salome character is the leader of, I don't think that they they were pretty heavily invested in keeping her alive. Where did they go? Because they were they they couldn't instance. They tried uh, to instance with her when she got pulled down. When, when I, I say she, the character who was being apparently piloted by Wager himself, um, when she got pulled down, the other people attempted to low wake down with her. One guy did, but came down forty two light seconds away, uh, which. Which it, it, you can, there's a YouTube video out there of that happening. So it's it's I mean it's just part of it is that the the, the odds were stacked against Salome in the first place with it just being a long distance and uh, so many crazy people and she's in a weak ship. But then it was evened out by I think the tactics that PAC put together. But then it was sort of re unevened out by technology problems. It so was you're kind of the luck of the draw. Uh, you're suggesting maybe Elite doesn't have the infrastructure to handle an event of this size. Um, well, which is what I take from it as well. You know, well, clearly, I mean, in their defense, every, I mean, that wasn't their event. It was something Drew put together, and they participated right, right. and helped to facilitate. But it's not their job to make that happen. And no. I get that, but it does show that there are some major multiplayer limitations with Elite that might not be apparent yes. uh, to a lot of players, especially players like me, where my multiplayer uh, experience basically amounts to multi-crew and winging with you guys sometimes. But large-scale uh, fleet battles are something that would be really great if we could get them in Elite. Uh, yeah, it, but it's going to be difficult. 
It, it, it depends on the design of the encounter. Um, if it if it doesn't matter who you instance with or who you match up with or who the server matches you up with, this could have been fine. If it was just some sort of, you know, free-for-all, you know, whoever racks up the most kills wins. You know, I mean, if it was just it's something that didn't rely on a wing being able to stay together and a wing being able to instance together consistently, if if that would be that would have been better. But given the fact that there was going to be fewer pilots to match up with because of attrition, no plan to replace those pilots due to attrition, um, and, and then, bad planning. And, no, it, it wasn't a bad. Three of the four. I don't made know with with no good plan, plan for uh, with no plan. For, well, actually, that's that's my other point. I wanted to say, you know, you, three of the four made it, but as watching these streams and I'm watching the streams while people are playing, the data came out before any of them. So that data well, was that, gonna happen. That data <laughs> was gonna happen. It didn't too. matter that all four made it. No, that's funny too. And the speculation is is that uh, because this happened on a Saturday, nobody from Frontier wanted to come in on a Saturday to turn the switch. That is so they just, just sort of lame. turned it on before they left and then said, "Yep, good luck," and then walked out. I mean, and again, uh, I get it, but it's yeah, it's uh, it's, cool. it's again, it's it's you know, my immersion. Where's my immersion? I mean, it, but statistically, when we were doing the training, two or three of the four made it every time, and the reason is is because everybody was gunning for the title character, and and I want to. So we were talking about mechanically how this worked and strategics and tactics. Let's just step back and talk about you know the meta here. The meta is 3,000 people, which is an accurate estimate and to, to, to my personal knowledge because I was in the Discord channel. Around 3,000 people played along with this. That's that's a big chunk of people devoting that, their Saturday to this. That is a pretty this. good achievement. That's a pretty good achievement. That's number one. Number two, Drew knew that Salome was dead. I mean, he he pretty much, he said he planned for it. He said it was the thing that was probably going to happen. But how it happened is kind of a good story. I mean, you know... you. Somebody's, I'm, I'm, I'm totally reformed. All right, well, we trust you, but we don't really trust you. But, you know, so you, we're going to keep you at arm's length. But the fanatics or the, the cult that is guarding you just aren't quite good enough. And so we have to let you in a little bit. Oh, and then curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Mine is an evil laugh. <laughs> you know? Well, and, this is, and, this is, and this is what I have an issue with some of the event on this. If I had been the writer, I would have had a bait and switch scenario set up already. Whereas the main character sure. was not actually the main character, but one of the other three, and would have whipped this out at the, you know, maybe pre-submitted this so people wouldn't say, oh, yeah, you were just, you know, playing mm -hmm. that scenario after the fact. But, I mean, simple thought process would have said, oh, well, everybody's been going to be gunning for my game, main hero, so... my I'm going to make my yep. main hero, I mean, a simple tactic being, aha. Well, but that... That depends on how married the guy was to the idea of keeping the character alive, which I had said at the time when we were discussing it in the chat. The scenario as it played out is a gold mine from an author's perspective. Very much so. I mean, if the event had gone off and the defenders had defended her successfully and the plan had gone off without a hitch all the way and like everyone had made it, that probably would have actually been bad for the author because it's like okay so everything went off perfectly there was no challenge at all this is not a good story and then he would have had to make a whole bunch of stuff up to like you know artificially insert drama or conflict where none had happened the way it played out in real life is like tony said it's you've got you know 
infiltration, betrayal, uh, like oh, and that's you know, why and that's why Game of, all over the place. That's why Game of Thrones is so popular because you know beheading Ned Stark was not thought of. I mean, that was the main good guy. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, right. But it ticked. But even that, it ticked. I mean, not as much that one because a lot of people knew about it. But it ticked people off, right? And that's yep. That, but it still kept him coming back because that's the. I mean, I think that after the fact. I mean, of course, it wasn't an official group, but I think if PAC had made that strategy that you talked about, Tony, more publicized after the fact and told everyone, look, we weren't focusing on getting Salome to the end. We were focusing on the information getting out. They did. I think it. I think it. Oh, they did. Yeah, in the Discord channel afterwards, there was sort of a debriefing, and that's they. That's what they said. Well, I meant be. I meant beyond the. Discord oh, after that. Channel, like, after that, general... they've been. They've been excoriated, and they just the the chat. The Discord channel has been dissolved. So all that three thousand right. play. I mean, that's gone now, and everybody. And as far as I can tell, the leadership is probably in hiding or something because they've been excoriated unfairly. I think. Uh, well, for, yeah, for their behavior. I'm saying like I think if they had gotten ahead of it a little bit and like put out at least I mean press release isn't the uh, word for it but yeah. if they'd put out some sort of a notice about that they weren't focused on defending her as a character because that actually like it makes sense strategically yeah. if you know that 80% of the attacking force is going to be focused on one objective let them have it and yeah. then if, if you can accomplish the overall strategic goal in another way then yeah, congratulations! Like you are now the sacrificial lamb. Under those criteria, you had an ex- successful advance. Yeah, and and right. and, uh, and and think about it this way: you know, if uh, in the book there were three other VIPs, right? So in the book, there's going to be these three other pilots who have names and backstories or whatever, but we don't really know what they are. I guess one of them you kind of know if you get into the lore and elite a little bit, but these other ones are you know you know you kill those guys, you get a paragraph. But Salome, like you were saying. Uh, Ostron, you know, there'd be pages and pages devoted to her struggle to try to get through, and I and I, and I know how this is going to work out. At some point, she's going to say, "I'm the one they want. You guys go on ahead. They're all after me. You can you can get away. You can escape." No, Salome. No, we love you too much. No, no, you must go on. You must make it through. The information must. It'll be the swelling orchestra in the background and the, this this single tear rolling down somebody. I mean, come on, it's. Isn't it's the word too for that perfect. trope? Trope. Many yeah. tropes. Tropey, so. tropiness everywhere. And let me tell you, I read uh, Elite Reclamation. Salome was the biggest Mary Sue you'd ever want to meet. Mm. She's a perfect swordsman, and every time she touched the pilot stick, something went right. And even when she crash-landed, she crash-landed in just the exact spot that she could be found by people. So, I mean, everything she touched turned to gold. For her to end like this seems like she was due. Let's put, let me put it this way. She was due <laughs> for for things to go wrong, but yeah, she she was due for for something like that. And she'll get, she's she went out with a bang, it, it, you know, like chases, escapes, true love, you know, uh, everything that you'd want in a great you know swashbuckling story. Uh, and and here's the real test. I mentioned a couple episodes ago. I used to write Foundry missions for Star Trek Online, and even when people complained, they were thinking about the story after it was done. And that's when you know you got them. If they're mad that you did something to their character or that you did something to a character that, you know, I did something to a character that I created. I'm like, why'd you do that to that character? I hated how you how that happened. 
They were thinking about it after they walked away. That's when you know you got them. Yeah, well, that's any author, artist, uh, like filmmaker. It's like the worst feedback is not negative. The worst feedback is indifferent. Silence. Yep. Yeah. If I can slightly switch topics. Do you have, as, as a participant, do you have any input or corroboration on those minor pseudo scandals they were bringing up with like people being ejected from the group or PAC attempting to like forcibly occupy star systems like did you notice any of that did you hear about it did you see I didn't see and I wasn't paying attention to that directly I was sort of skimming through the different chat roles in the dead they had like they had four fleet channels and then a general chat and I was sort of skimming through everything as well as watching Salome's progress on the galaxy map and uh, trying to watch a couple streams here and there. So I was kind of, you know, information overload. I suspect that some of that is probably true. They probably did kick some people from the Discord, but I have no corroboration, but I suspect that's true. And I also suspect that there may have been some confusion over what people's roles were supposed to be. My understanding was is that if you were a scout slash interdictor, your job was to just interdict people all day long. You should be spending most of your time in Newtonian space because you just hauled somebody out of Supercruise. That, that's really what you should be doing. Um, if somebody took that order and went a different way with it, I don't know. But I wasn't down there in the weeds. I once, Like I said, once, once I kind of knew what the game was, that they had sort of decided that Salome was, in fact, going to walk to the slaughter, I was like, okay, I think I'll just watch. Uh, and I went to the, completely the wrong system. I thought they were going to go uh, meet uh, Jasmina Halsey at Yume Kunkabi. That's where I was sitting and waiting, but they ended up in the ship graveyard in Tianisla. So I, I was I was a little off. I was in the, I was, I was in the neighborhood, but, you know, about 100 light years away in the neighborhood. If I can divert us for a second, because um, I know Astron wants to get on to the next topic, but we haven't talked about the lore that came out as or what information got through. Right. Do we want to save that for spoilers, or can we discuss that in four minutes? Oh, let, let's talk about it. I mean, Great. it, it so came out the day before. Spoiler alert. Yeah, it came out the day before. But not only that, the uh, the ship, one of the ships the, that she had found was found. You know, the right. the long distance ship, the colony ship. So, here's the thing: the beacons uh, logs say that the Empire and the Federation are uh, having all these conflicts right now, not as a way to actually have conflicts. They're doing it as a way to have an excuse to build up arms, to build ships, to build weapons to strengthen their militaries because they're not really in conflict. The Empire and the Federation are buddy-buddy and the conflict is a ruse because they know for a fact Thargoids are coming and the Thargoids are mad and all of that military force is going to be brought together as allies to fight this force off. The big secret that was discovered is that this has been known for a long time and that in planning for it, we've planned for the idea that the human-inhabited bubble could be annihilated And we might need to escape. So we've put beacons leading out to where there are colonies way out in the distance. Or where we have supplies and can start colonies way out in the black. That is a pretty cool story. You know, I think that's great. And it brings together a lot of the lore from Elite from past games that we've been told directly by FDev that may or may not be canon. It shows that there was a war with the Thargoids, even though now people believe that war was kind of a mythical thing some places. They don't believe it happened at all. And then that this war was won by, you know, pretty much genocide against the Thargoids, where we poisoned their organic ships so they no longer had hyperspace travel. And the little pockets of them that 
were isolated and couldn't run away were annihilated by the pilots who were hunting them. So we almost wiped them out. And then in the next Elite game, apparently, we save some, give them back hyperspace travel, and now we're seeing, after years of build-up, the army that they can bring upon us. So there's a reason for them to hate us. We tried to annihilate them. We have very little defense against saying, yeah, we tried to wipe your species out. So it's, it could be an interesting conflict, and I think it brings Elite together and kind of ties things up nicely in a way that was missing. And the way that's really elegant about it is that it's all very still shadowy and plausibly deniable. So that yeah. if Frontier if Frontier can't make something work, can't make some mechanic work and they have to cut something out, they can always just go back and say, well, you know, Black Ops never really happened, you know, that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's a pretty elegant way of telling a side story in a way that still gives Frontier the ability to take the game technically in whatever direction they need to go. You know, unlocking permit systems as they can and that kind of stuff so i think that says a lot actually you just mentioned the the permit systems i've always been angry that that the deep space systems that are permit locked are just permit locked and it says unknown permit required it's very immersion breaking when my computer on my starship thousands of light years from the from Sol says i can't go there because i don't have a permit to have it uh, blocked or jammed would make sense, but a permit didn't make sense. In this context, with this story, it, it makes sense that the Pilots Federation has them locked. Yep. That makes sense. That yep. makes perfect sense, and I love that it's finally come together a little. The thing that I take from this whole salami, uh, salami, this salami. whole salami incident <laughs> with Potter, <laughs> you know, popping the salami. There's our, there's our show title. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the thing that I take from all this, as much as it exposed the weaknesses in the game's multiplayer, and as much as I personally feel like it, it exposed bad leadership on the hands of the defenders, a bad plan. And that can be argued, Tony disagrees, that's fine. And I don't mean to upset anybody that was part of it, but it, it doesn't jive with me. In spite of all that, it still brought all these people together to do it. Tied up the story in a very elite way, because it's all tied up kind of half in-game, half out, which is where elite thrives, you know, giving us things to do outside a game to make us think about things outside a game, try to solve puzzles outside a game that'll affect us in-game. That's all very, very elite. So as much as I've complained about it, they did tie it up really nicely in the end, and there were a lot of positives. But I hope a lot of people share that opinion and aren't too upset over the, the things that did go bad. And they've got one up on EVE because they had a multi-thousand-person multiplayer event and it didn't cost, like, $20,000 of real money in lost assets. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Our Elite Dangerous Community question. So, was PAC in the dark about SDC's intentions? Or did they intentionally sacrifice the named character for the greater good? Do you have any other thoughts on the community event? Let us know through our usual channels. Details in a moment. But now it's time for news we didn't use. CIG and Turbulent dropped Spectrum Update 0.3.3 recently, adding nested threads. They are working on 0.3.4, which is going to focus on improvements to the tagging and search systems. A modding team is working on XWVM, a massive overhaul of the original X-Wing space sim. The mod is still in development, but they have several videos showcasing new graphics and AI behavior. Links will be in the show notes. 
When this show drops on Tuesday, May 9th, you'll have about 20 minutes to shoot, edit, and submit your entry to the Control-Alt-Space video contest being run by Frontier. Prizes will include some Frontier swag and hot peripherals for PC gearheads, as well as fame and internet fortune, the likes of Overly Dramatic Squirrel. Or in this case, we could say Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Entrances, <laughs> entrance so far run the range from goofy parody to heart-tugging odes to the lonely life of a space trucker. We'll have links to some of our favorites in the show notes. Some of those are really good. The camera thing that came with 2.3 is going to be a bonanza for machinima fans, and it's just absolutely beautiful what you can do with it. I, I have to agree with Tony on this. There were some amazingly good stuff out there. Just go search on YouTube for Control-Alt-Space. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. Some of it, I mean, is a little mediocre, but there's some just genuine just diamonds in that rough that I really think you all ought to go check out. I'll tell you something that interests me. I was no, I was not aware they're doing a mod to the original X-Wing Space Sim to update the graphics. That is so interesting to me. I'm going to check oh, that out. Fun. I wonder how long that's going to take, when that'll be out, how how much they'll do. I wonder. That's just exciting. Like I'm, I can't stop thinking about that one now. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. That need was to one of the ones some, I cut my teeth on. Some bigger reporting on that. Yeah. Um, as it gets going. Like well, yeah, I I just saw it's been they've been working on it for a while. They're just doing a an overhaul of all the graphics and sound cues and processing. Is that all? And they're. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But they're just rebuilding it from the ground up. It's just the way that it looks, sounds, and plays. No big deal. Well, <laughs> no, the point is that they're not replacing the original source code. That's cool. Which means that this has a good... It's By definition, it actually is a mod, despite the number of changes they're making. So it should be able to avoid any issues with copyright or IP infringement that would get it taken down, like some of the other space sim efforts that have tried to put Star Wars skins on other games, since this is an original Star Wars game. And the mod doesn't work unless you own a copy of the original game, which nowadays you'd have to pull off of Steam or GOG. But you do still have to own it, so therefore they're not infringing on the IP. I think that's great. So this has a this has a good chance of actually making it. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he wants it that way, and that he's a whole 99 degrees, but all we know is he's called the Shiv and he'll put together this week's feedback. A recap of last week's community questions. One, for the Star Citizen, do the Defender or the Banu seem any more appealing with the extra info that's been released? And from Elite Dangerous, do you have any thoughts on the strike and how things move forward from here? Also, there was a big community event happening. Eleanor Rebel writes, It's a concept sale. Concepts don't often make it into production unchanged in any industry. Problem? Wait for a production model. Rambus writes in and says, Banu is a race that's made in SC. Whether I like it or not, it'll bring life to the verse, which is priority one. Third-party mods not being an ED payroll, why would ED even bother what they do? It's not up to them. It sounds like the kindergartner's cries. Rentaspoon wrote in and said, I don't think devs should be forced to support third-party programs. Preacher writes, 
Thought you might have some fun with Morse code. Dot, 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 space, dot, space, dot, dash, dot, dot. I'm going to just translate this um, because it's just going to annoy Ostron. But it says, hello, everyone. Great show. Really enjoyed it. As far as Star Citizen goes, I jumped off the hype train after they redesigned one ship three times. So it's safe to say I've lost faith in when this game will be released. As far as the competition goes into a backdoor way to pay, the streamers or YouTubers that drive business their way. I, I would like to comment on this one specifically. The redesign of the ships, I expect as the game, the game, remember the game is in development. So I expect redesigns five, six, ten times until we get to the final release. After the final release, if they start messing with my ships, I'm going to be a little bit upset. But remember, everyone, that, that Star Citizen is, is a game in development. It is not a final a final design. So I think they should have a system that says, you know, I don't like the redesign of the original ship that I purchased, and therefore I want full credit back, not, not some hyped up you know, marked up price that I have to pay another $20 to get some melting weirdness thing. But I would also wait until the final, you know, these things are locked in place kind of phased. And this is the way we're going to, this is the, what we're going to get. So, you know, the streamer YouTube thing, it is what it is. What can I say? I, I, I don't feel good about star citizen doing what they're doing with this whole referral thing. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Excellent show, everyone. The Defender looks wonderful, but I just can't justify the price. Amontillado writes in and says, I'm always up for more background information. The Banu sound like a very interesting civilization, and I'm curious as to how they have influenced the cultures of humanity. What sort of behaviors have mankind adopted that can be directly attributed to the Banu? As to the strike by third-party website maintainers... Frontier shouldn't be in that situation to begin with. They should be directly providing their community with the tools it needs to enjoy the game properly, or they should have contractors paid to do so. Leaving it up to fans to provide their own tools is poor form. And see, that's why I wanted his feedback, because he is spot on. I I think I get it. Um, The point is that they're not on the payroll, and so why they bother? Because they're doing things that... They're getting a service for free that Frontier can't pay for. The the amount, the sheer volume of third-party development hours that go into the dozen websites that support the game, is it's, it boggles my mind just sitting here thinking about it. And Frontier recognizing that fact even just a little bit went, went big. It went real big. And I think that if they hadn't have done that, they're, I, the game would suck for me. If those third-party developers quit. Yeah, you need those tools. You need those tools. Those tools, a lot of them should be in-game tools. I mean, the mapping and stuff like that is terrible in Elite. If it wasn't for the third-party tools, it would be less playable. Yeah, hang on. The map is actually great. The star map is fantastic. What you can do with the map, terrible. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, there's just there's access to data that you need on the fly that you can't get to, and these third-party tools provide it. And if FDev doesn't want to develop the tools in-house... That's fine, but they they really have a responsibility not to screw the third-party developers by changing things in the API and not releasing some documentation of what's happened, why, how to fix it. You have to work with your community if you're going to depend on them to keep people playing the game. And, you know, they, they need to recognize that. But I think this shows that they did. I think they did recognize it. 
I'm glad that they followed through. I'm glad that there's going to be some working between the third-party developers and FDev now. So we'll see how it goes. It's a step in the right direction, the way things are going, I hope. In general feedback, Marques writes, With the live version, I've listened to this like three times now, and now I can save it for future enjoyment. Thanks for uploading, guys. I really appreciate it. There are so many man-guy-squee-like-a-little-girl moments in this my wife came checking on me. I so would attend that class Doug Drexler talked about. Besides pure enjoyment, I'm seriously interested in what he, the guy from the industry, could say about effing up a successful show. And whoever out there stole Captain Picard's chair, I have some latinum to spend. Long-time listener here, Guard, and you guys never disappoint. Thumbs up, greetings from the Netherlands. Techman69 writes in and says, You know, there's been an undercurrent somewhere inside me that keeps me from really getting into Elite Dangerous. I only spend a little over a thousand hours so far, <laughs> but only a fraction of what I play Star Citizen. And that is the fracturing of the partnership between Braben and Ian Bell many years ago. From what I know about Bell, and granted that is very little, it's that he was a real coding geek and responsible for most of the original Elite game, and Braben used that genius to make a lot of money in a manner that Bell thought was unfair. And this lack of consideration for a major part of the dev community is just a symptom of this. In some ways, they are partners like Bell was. Sure, I understand that business, yeah, like a snake, has a kill or be killed aspect and why I sold my ISP in 99, but I've always appreciated Chris Roberts' take on this aspect of life more than Braben's and probably has much to do with my greater appreciation of his game as much as the technical and, es and entertainment aspects. Just my two cents. And a good two cents that was. Yeah. Isn't this kind of a recurring theme in tech stuff, though? I mean, you got Steve Jobs and Wozniak. You got uh, Bill Gates and his early partner who actually wrote the DOS program. No, know. no, you don't no. under... No. No, you're going to correct me on the Microsoft thing, aren't you? You're not going to oh, correct yes, me on the I, Apple I, thing. I, not I, on the Apple thing. the Apple thing. So, so DOS was originally a, made by a company in Seattle, a little uh, town south of me, about 80 miles, called computer business services or something and gates bought the whole program the whole rights to it for fifty thousand bucks so gates didn't write a single thing right but he's the one that is famous for that so, he is I mean, famous for it but but right. don't don't attribute him to writing dos right but he that's what i'm write. saying that's what i'm saying as 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 our, our listener here as the tech man 69 said Bell, according to him, was the one that actually got into the guts and made Elite, the original Elite work, but Braben was sort of the face. And now Braben's here doing Elite Dangerous, and Bell is retired doing whatever Mr. Bell likes to do. I will say this, you know, you need those separate parts of the team, and people are going to get different uh, degrees of fame based on what their public exposure is. It's kind of like how everybody wants to know the lead singer of the band, and nobody really knows the, the drummers. Even if the drummer is writing the music, people don't always know the drummer. You know what I mean? So bass player. <laughs> it is the bass player. It's always the bass Traditionally, player. Traditionally, the bass player is the one that nobody recognizes. <laughs> but my point being, with independent development, smaller teams now, and the internet where you can self-promote and kickstart, I think we see that happening a little differently now. Like, take a look at, like, No Man's Sky. The front man on that was a programmer, right? I mean, that was his baby. He was Although that's on code a, too. Yeah, maybe that, not the best example. That may be example. more of a cautionary, <laughs> cautionary <laughs> what, I, what I'm pointing at is this is a case where the developer, the person who conceived the idea, developed the idea, and put it out there, did it all himself. He wasn't successful in that endeavor on a lot of fronts because the game was terrible when it was released and broken. But it was an example of someone who did that without that separate member of the team running his hype for him. 
It's just a smaller company that could make that big product. And our new Patreon this week is... No Patreon. And this week's community question was back in the dark about SDC's intentions, or did they intentionally sacrifice the named character for the greater good? Do you have any thoughts on the community event? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show's post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how was the show? Did we manage to get three out of four data cores back safely, or should we paint a big target on our back and go looking for Harry Potter? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 167 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 168, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.GuardFrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should come join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency live over at twitch.tv slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, some Guard Frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous flight group. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, and our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlotte Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pintad, and, of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work, where you can check out his latest album, Roads Deep, now available for pre-order from all the good websites called Bandcamp. Above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. I don't think it's possible for us to record something on the 5th and then broadcast it on the 2nd. Yeah. Let's try that one, and we'll flog Lennon later. Both in the U.S. and in other countries. And air... Oh, wait, this doesn't read right. Both in the U.S., other countries, and in areas where broadband is either inexpensive... Ugh. Beep, beep! Each satellite weighs 386 kilograms, which is 12,402...
Ugh. You can blame Lennon for that. I know. Mikey, this is probably where you insert everything that Tony and Henry said five minutes ago. All of that gold that, that we that radio earlier. gold. That's right. Yeah. Radio poop, maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hey, Mr. Hayfords are working there, Jeff. Language, sir. <laughs> this is a family show. Hey, Gracious we needed, me. So, we needed something for the blooper reel. Gracious right? Next me. week, it's just going to be me and Tony and Jeff's chair, because Jeff's going to get his butt kicked after the show. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that was a very roundabout response to the community. He, 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 keeps, go he keeps going, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And didn't sure, somebody give us a lecture about saving our comments until after all of the uh, thank, feedback? Thank, I'm sorry, I recall proceed. that. I recall that. I think that. so. I, Just it might have been the ago. last show. I, unfortunately, we always for, forget about this. those com comments. By the time we get to the end of the feedback, we get so much of it. <laughs> hey, 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 Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Is there somebody yeah. in the house there that can like give you a really good slap across the face? Like just what? like a just like a uh, just. Can you do it again. Well, why? Sounds like you're dying. It sounds like you're dying. It sounds what like do you you're mean? Like, sounds like I'm dying. Sounds like you're dying. Are you dying, Jeff? Oh God! All right. <laughs> he's dying because he's got to keep reading things over and over again. Tony, <laughs> leave the man alone. Punch it up, man! Punch it. You want to slap me now, Jeff? Uh, yeah, it? because if you if you turn me into you, I'm really going to be upset. <laughs> There's only one uh, dick. That's me. And with that pronouncement, we'll stop the recording. <laughs> Radio poop.